0: Hello, and welcome. You're listening to Song Stories, Quiet Stories, Episode 14, Valentine's Day, Her Story. This is your host, Carolyn Mercette. Do you have fond memories as a school child bringing a shoebox to school in mid-February, covering it in red or pink paper, then gluing on heart-shaped paper doilies or cut-out paper hearts, Then having your teacher or parents cutting a rectangular slit on top of the box for your schoolmates to insert their mini-Valentine envelope treasures? I do. And if I was lucky, a conversation candy heart would be tucked inside saying, Be mine or you're far out. Is it obvious I grew up during the 1960s and 1970s? That was a few decades ago. My own kids did the same thing in the 1980s, 90s, and on, and their kids probably asked their parents for an empty shoebox to take to school at the beginning of February. According to Encyclopedia Britannica, Valentine's Day, February 14th, when lovers show their affection with greeting cards and gifts, is very popular in the United States Canada, Great Britain, Australia, and in many other countries where English is not the official language. The ancient Roman festival, Lupercalia, held this time of year, celebrated the coming of spring. At the end of the 5th century, Pope Galatius I replaced that festival that included fertility rites and the pairing off of women with men by lottery, Yikes, and thank you, Pope, with St. Valentine's Day. From about the 14th century, it was then observed as a day of romance and possibly with less indulgent celebrations. The day may have taken its name from a Christian priest who was martyred around the year 270 AD by the emperor Claudius II Gothicus. According to legend, the priest signed a letter from your Valentine to his jailer's daughter, whom he'd become friends with. Some accounts credit him with healing her from blindness, hence his designation as a saint, Saint Valentine. Encyclopedia Britannica also mentions another legend, stating that Saint Valentine defied the emperor's orders and secretly married couples to spare the husbands from war. It is for this reason that his feast day is associated with love. Formal valentines appeared in the 1500s, and by the late 1700s, commercially printed cards were being used. The first commercial valentines in the United States were printed in the mid-1800s, The early Valentine cards commonly depicted Cupid, the Roman god of love. Hearts, traditionally the seat of emotion, are found on these cards throughout the ages. Just for fun, go online to Google Images and search for vintage Valentines. You can also search for them by decade. Traditional gifts include candy and flowers, particularly red roses, a symbol of beauty and love. Speaking of Valentine's Day candy and the earlier mentioned Conversation Hearts, the Necco Candy Company, one of the oldest in the United States, founded in 1847, created the original candy hearts, Sweethearts, in 1866. Daniel Chase built a machine that would press food dye letters onto candy lozenges made famous by his brother and Neko founder, Oliver Chase. The company has been making sweethearts since 1902. This company claims that their conversation heart candy, still made with corn syrup, sugar, gelatin, and food coloring, is more popular than chocolate candy during the Valentine's Day season. Speaking of chocolate candy, listen to the story of my husband's parents. Tom and Mary met the first day they attended Los Angeles City College. They sat next to each other in their English class where they were filling out papers. Mary glanced over to see what the name of this good-looking, dark-haired man was and saw that it was Irwin Thomas Mercet, She said to him, what name do you go by? He said, Irwin. Mary answered, I will call you Tom. He said that he never did not the name Irwin, but he never thought of changing it. After that, everyone called him Tom. After seven years of courting, They were at a family gathering at Mary's parents' home on Valentine's Day. Tom, after having informed everyone but Mary of his intentions, placed an engagement ring inside a box of chocolate candy and passed it around the room. She was the last person in the circle to choose her chocolate, but chose the diamond ring instead They married August 22, 1942, in her parents' home in North Hollywood, California. Tom was a soft-spoken, quiet man, which could explain why he courted Mary for seven years before popping the question. I
1: don't know how to talk about stuff Ask me a question Yeah, like...
0: This next Valentine's Day story is from my side of the family. Ida Dayton and Sylvan Chatwin, my paternal grandparents, were born in Utah, United States in 1905. Sylvan was born in the town of Santa Quin, where his Mormon pioneer grandfather, William Chatwin, had settled in 1875 and had become a school teacher. In 1851, he'd emigrated from Lancashire, England to the United States and crossed the plains with other pioneer companies. By 1920, Sylvan was 14 years old and living with his parents and brothers and sister in Provo, Utah. He was the youngest of five children, four who lived to adulthood. His brother, Wallace Wayne, lived to the age of 17 and died in November of 1918 during the height of the Spanish flu epidemic and as World War I was ending. Sylvan was attending Provo High School during the early 1920s, when lovely young Ida Dayton convinced her parents to allow her to leave their home in Vernal, Utah to go and live in Provo with her Aunt Kate, her mother's sister. I imagine Ida was a great help to her aunt who lost one child at birth in 1923 and another in 1924. Ida was the sixth of eleven children. Only five of them lived beyond the age of three. It was at high school where Sylvan and Ida met and fell in love, courted a few years and a couple of years after graduation, married on Valentine's Day, 94 years ago. This choice of a wedding date doesn't surprise me. Grandma was a romantic. Most of the inside of her home was painted her favorite color, a bright pink. All of the sheet music tucked inside her piano bench was romantic music of the 1930s and 1940s. I tried playing one of those pieces for her before she passed away in 1986. I don't sight-read music well, and after playing a sorry rendition of Let Me Call You Sweetheart, she pathetically said, Carolyn, that didn't sound anything like the first time I heard it. Grandpa died at the young age of 59 from ephysema, because he worked as a boiler tender at the Columbia Steel Mill. Boilers, which are used to generate steam, are wrapped in asbestos. The body cannot break the fibers down or remove them once they are lodged in lung or body tissues, and this results in permanent lung damage. My last memories of him as a child Visiting him and Grandma in Utah with my parents and siblings was of him in the second bedroom, connected to an oxygen tank because he couldn't breathe on his own. This was in stark contrast to my earlier memories of him helping my dad, Wally, with his various house remodeling projects. Yes, my dad was named after his uncle, Wallace. Grandma was widowed, also at the age of 59, And never remarried, she often said. I'll never love another man as much as I loved my Sylvan. Listen to my episode 11, Winter Brown Noel, to learn more about the remarkable romantic. Ida Dayton Chatwin. You're probably listening to this episode after the Valentine's Day holiday. Keep the love going. Do you have any Valentine family stories? How did you celebrate the holiday as a child? As a teen. Come back next time and listen to my remarkable and talented friend Loretta tell her unforgettable story. She's currently so busy stage managing a popular local theatrical production that she hasn't been able to pull herself away from it and her other worthwhile activities. Subscribe to this podcast at iTunes or at other venues, including my website, mycarolynmercet.com where you'll find writing prompts in bold lettering in the podcast notes thanks for writing thanks for listening this is your host carolyn mercet